Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Reputation Town podcast. This is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Pernak. Happy New Year, John. I think we're still saying that. Yeah, you too, Warren. Happy New Year. Can't believe it. 20 episodes. 20. It's crazy. So um, let me... There was a lot of naysayers who say we'd never make it. <laughs> Who's the naysayer? Okay, so I have this stat that I found <laughs> that I want to read out. And this we've alluded to this a couple of times. But uh, this is a, a, a quote from Jack Butcher, who is um, just an online personality. 90% of podcasts don't get past episode three. That's 1.8 million who quit. Of the 200,000 left, 90% will quit after 20 episodes. That's another 180,000 gone. To be in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, you only need to publish 21 episodes. And so that's just a little uh, context setting for the day. Congratulations. We've made it to, uh, to episode 20. So we should be technically... Amazing. So we're on the, preci- we're on the of, precipice of being in the, the 1%. precipice of greatness. Exactly. So I was going to ask if you have... Um, I don't know if you're a resolution guy, but anything you want to achieve in 2022? Uh. I probably some a bit of better balance and sort of life balance, maybe some more exercise. <laughs> I don't want to put, I don't want to put too high, high a bar here. I just want to <laughs> set some modest, modest uh, goals. Those are very vague resolutions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you? Other than, you know, the, the like similar to you, the, the one specific one I have and I've mentioned this before, I'm trying to learn how to play the guitar. It's going slowly. So I'm trying to, and I think consistency is the key. So I'm trying to do 30 minutes a day. And so far, and I'm logging it in this little app or whatever, but so far, so good. I'm doing 30 minutes a day and I can actually see a little bit of progress. So my goal is by the end of 2022, I'd like to be able to be at a skill level where I can re-record new theme music for us because that banjo music started to drive me crazy. <laughs> that's tremendous. Well, good, good. That's great. Eh, Keep we'll it up. See. I'm not ready to un- unleash it on the world yet. Um, any other off topic stuff you want to bring in before we go into uh, this week's episode? Uh, you know what? I think we got some interesting stuff to talk about. Why don't we jump right in? Okay. So um, this is a story that I saw yesterday and this to me, I'm, I'm a John Stewart fan. I don't know if you are as well from the daily show and back in the day. There was a story yesterday that I saw from Newsweek on Twitter. And if you think of Newsweek, you think of a legacy, you know, mainstream flagship media company. And they sent out a tweet basically saying that uh, Jon Stewart asserted that J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter was anti-Semitic because of the the portrayal of some of the characters. And I thought I saw the the headline like that seems that doesn't seem like Jon Stewart kind of thing. And so I click on it and then I saw the the response from Jon Stewart. And this is one of those things where you go, if you have a great social media audience, you can go straight back to the consumer. You don't have to go through the gatekeeper. And so I wanted to play, um, this is Jon Stewart's response to Newsweek's allegation. I have to address this. This is, this is bonkers, guys. So if you remember like a month ago, I recorded one of the podcasts with Henrik and Jay. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we were bullshitting about all kinds of stuff, and we started talking about bar mitzvahs. And then Jay uh, said something like he he did a funny riff on it, like uh, what chapter of Harry Potter was that? And we went off on a Harry Potter thing, right? Mm-hmm. There is no reasonable person that could have watched it and not seen it as a light-hearted conversation amongst colleagues and chums. Uh, having a laugh, enjoying ourselves uh, uh, about Harry Potter and my experience 
watching it for the first time in a theater as a Jewish guy and and how some tropes are so embedded in society that they're uh, basically invisible, even in a considered process like movie making, right? Absolutely. So um, we did that a month ago. A month ago. So like two COVID mutations ago, back when we were still in like beta world or whatever, wherever we were, this is a month ago. This morning I wake up, it's trending on Twitter. And here's the headline from Newsweek. John Stewart accuses J.K. Rowling, 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 J.K. Rowling of anti-Semitism. So let, let me let me just say this, like super clearly, as clearly as I can. Uh, can I get a close up? All right, You're in control of camera. your own camera. Right. Bring your I'm face in. I'm in control in. of my close up. Sorry, let me camera this. one. Hello, uh, my name is John Stewart. I do not think J.K. Rowling is anti-Semitic. I did not accuse her of being anti-Semitic. I do not think that the Harry Potter movies are anti-Semitic. I really love the Harry Potter movies, probably too much for a gentleman of my considerable age. Uh, So I would just like to say that none of that is true and not a reasonable person could not have looked at that conversation and not found it lighthearted. So let me say this instead to Newsweek. Um, Your business model is fucking arson and not the good kind not the good kind of arson where they light stuff and control it to prevent forest fires in the future the kind of arson where you're on the mountain and you've got fucking five minutes and you don't know where the dogs are like that's your business model and now all the shitheads pile into this ridiculously out of context nonsense uh that you put out there and let me tell you something newsweek you used to mean something you know what I mean? You were my go-to at the airport when the kiosk was out of Time magazine. <laughs> Boom! Roasted! Roasted. Weekly magazine roasted. Yeah. Not a Hudson News. So again, I cannot stress this enough. I'm not accusing J.K. Rowling of being anti-Semitic. She need not answer to any of it. I don't want the Harry Potter movies censored in any way. Uh, it was a lighthearted conversation. Get a fucking grip all right what are your what's your take on that well the, the thing about newsweek is we all th- remember it to be something it isn't anymore right like i think Stuart actually <laughs> touched on it where he said it you know you it's the thing you bought if time magazine was out of stock uh <laughs> it like i think in it's in the past i can say 15 years you know it went bankrupt it was sold for a dollar to I think the Washington or the Washington Post sold it for a dollar or something, and then it's changed hands a bunch of times. For a while, it was I think merged with the Daily Beast, and it was like co a newsroom was run out of the same a newsroom as the Daily Beast or something like that. So it essentially has become like a clickbait internet um, internet presence. I think they actually do have a paper magazine they sell again now, but it's. Um, like I think what they what they are skilled at is doing exactly what they did in this case was generate um, kind of a torqued up story that got everyone up and up in arms and got a lot of attention for themselves, and um, you know I, I guess to an extent John Stewart kind of played into the <laughs> played into it there, but I'm not I'm not sure how he couldn't have. But I don't, I don't um, think he's doing them any favors, could, right? He to, like I love this yeah. response. 
Uh, I think that there are some some lessons here for brands. One of the things that I, you know, I've had conversations with executives from like, let's just say long-term care homes, right? Over the course of the pandemic and uh, have had phone calls or emails with them and they're, they're going through difficulties with their homes and the media's calling. And I said, you know, one of the things you should do is grab your camera, do a video, put it on your Facebook page, put it out on Twitter, just go straight to the audience and the horror in, in their voices. And if I'm talking to these people on zoom, like the, just, you can see their face go white, the ball, the blood goes out of their face. They're like, we're not doing that. And I think this is one of the most powerful tools you can use. Skip through the media, go straight to the public with your message. John Stewart's message yesterday, the last I checked had like 1.5 million views on that little video from yesterday. And so it makes, I think it makes Newsweek look foolish. And then the next thing that I did is I looked at Newsweek's uh, Twitter feed how many followers do you think they have? Just guess out of the blue. Newsweek? <clears throat> um, I don't know. 3.4 million followers, right? Which is huge and not surprising. It's Newsweek. This, again, this list of legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I scroll down and I'm looking at the number of engagements they're getting on their tweets and it's like four, six, hmm. four. It, it, it's almost impossible. Like how do you have three, three and a half million followers and you're getting like, like we get more likes on a tweet. You know what I mean? And we're just like people. So it's, it's really, I I thought, I thought the response was brilliant. And I love the fact that he did it. He did it quickly and, you know, a couple of F-bombs in there. And obviously he's a master speaker in order, but this, I think no matter what business you're in, if you're in an issues management or crisis management situation, you can take a page from this book and use it in your own way. Obviously don't drop any F-bombs, but you have the ability through social media, I think to just go straight to the audience and tell them what's up. I completely agree. In fact, I was doing media training earlier today, and that was one of the things I was sort of just coaching these um, these spokespeople on is this idea that as much as the earned media is still important, you know, maybe that's what a third, a quarter of where your attention should be because you can spend so much more, uh, get so much more value out of communicating directly over channels you own and control to your stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And you don't even have to worry about you know, did they get my quote right? Because you have full control over that quote. The one thing companies should do though, is try to build that audience in the meantime, like build it before you need it. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if you, if you have, again, let's say it's a, it's a long-term care home or facility and you have like eight followers or you're not on Twitter at all. And you have an issue or a crisis come up and you want to communicate with people. You, you have to like, how do I start a Twitter account? Or you have no followers. And so I really believe it's one of the best things you can do is build that audience ahead of time so that when you have to activate it, you have that audience to go to. And so just, it just reinforces the importance of social media. And you, you said it, you nailed it, the channels that you own, as opposed to going through the media and they could end up, you know, twisting your words and the clickbait stuff is the worst because these organizations are literally dying. They're bleeding money and they are, um, they're, they're coming up with BS headlines like this to get clicks. Yeah, no. And and it happens like even on, it happens locally all the time, like publications like, um, like blog to or Narcity where they're taking local stories and, you know, just to, you know, they're, they're tweaking them to make them a bit more clickbaity. And, and next thing you know, a brand has a, has, is answering a bunch of other questions from traditional media because of, uh, of, uh, a, a post that one of these sites yeah. has done. Um, it's just part of the, part of the ecosystem now you kind of just have to deal with it but you know when you when you you talk to a newsweek's brand i'm not sure that i'm sure the company that has it never really cares like i think they just worry try and get as much traffic 
uh, over their sites as they can to probably to sell Which ads. hurts journalism overall. Uh, you know, like I remember, yeah. and you know, I don't want to sound like one of those, again, those grumpy old Muppet guys, but I remember journalism school, the first week, the basic, the basic rules get both sides of the story. If you're going to quote one person, quote someone on, on the other side, take your personality, your bias out of the story to the extent that you can be objective, try to tell the story, serve the audience. And you see a lot of that just going out the window and they, they're just, they're paraphrasing, making stuff up. Everybody's a columnist these days. And, um, and, and, you know, not to complain, like that's just the way a lot of journalism is these days. But the problem is if your brand or your personality, like, you know, you could be an individual, an author, an actor, a company, uh, an association, and you can get swept up in this. And so uh, the ability to go straight to the audience, don't fear it, but try to build up those muscles ahead of time before you need it. And that's, you know, that's so important. It's hard for, because oftentimes you're brought in, in the, in the midst of a crisis, like there's like the, the desires for quick solutions, this solution, which is actually the best solution, in my opinion, takes a lot, takes time to build up. You have to, as you pointed out, you have to plan ahead. You have to cultivate these and grow your audience and collect the, collect information from your stakeholders uh, and have a, have a regular communication of some cadence with them. Maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly. Um, It doesn't have to be super frequent, but you have to sort of build the muscle so that you have that communication channel uh, strong and healthy. And if, if you have a great basis of, you know, maybe it's a direct email list combined with, you know, a, a social platform doesn't have to be all the platforms and you get a, get a story that comes in that you need to respond to. Well, sure. You're going to respond to it through the traditional means, but then you also have these two really important uh, other ways of communicating and those are all ambassadors that can amplify your message and share yeah. share a message on your behalf. And you get you get great ability to to manage things like you never could before, as opposed to just trying to rely on 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 that maybe the the two quotes you're going to get in the the story that uh, the journalist happens yeah. to. And run. He touched on something really important there. It's not only the content. His message was great. I think that's the longest clip we've ever played on this podcast. It was almost it was just under four minutes, which is a pretty long clip, but. F- to to um, to explain a, a pretty difficult and sensitive topic like that, volatile. I thought he was pretty articulate, and you can't come away from that clip not understanding what he was talking about. The other one is speed. If John Stewart comes out with that next Tuesday, it's too late. Like nobody cares. But he came yeah. out with it in the same news cycle with I think within twenty four hours, and so it was the speed yeah. plus the content. It was this one two punch that their brand goes down, his brand goes up. Um, JK Rowling gets to just avoid any of this because she's getting dragged into stuff every now and then. But, um, I really think that even though he's a, a celebrity personality, a comedian director, your business, your brand could take a lesson from this and uh, build that social media audience in advance. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, where there's been inaccurate information or you're dealing with a crisis, I, I think those, those social media channels are the, the number one way to go. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a really key thing you can't overlook when you're you're trying to manage reputation these days. Okay, so uh, the next one, and I know we have a sort of a theme episode that you you're, we're going to get to right after this, but the other one that I wanted to bring up because it doesn't really fit into to any of those is Peloton. Now, this is now I don't have you don't have a Peloton bike, do you? You're not one of those no. Pelotonians or whatever they call them. <laughs> so <laughs> these super expensive uh, exercise bikes and treadmills. So 
we talked about them in one of the earliest episodes of Reputation Town because, and I forget, was it like the pandemic is a, is a blur, but at some point early in the pandemic, they had um, a recall of their treadmill because kids were getting kind of sucked under. And if you've ever seen any of the videos, they're they're disturbing to watch. This kid gets pulled under and he's just like all these injuries. I think some girl had like broken arm or something. And so the company didn't handle it very well. And we talked about this in our earlier episode from a, from a crisis management perspective. They tried to stall, tried to deny, and eventually they capitulated, did the recall, cost them a bunch of money. And it seemed to, because again, we're in the blur of the pandemic and Tiger King and everyone's eating chips and going for walks and people were buying a ton of these bikes and these treadmills. And so their stock price goes up. Company's doing really well. It's one of those pandemic company uh, success stories. And recently, uh, and this is since our last episode, I think was at some point in like earlier mid December. So since then the sex in the city um, reboot has come out. Have you watched that at all? I know. Not, not a concert. I'm I'm proud to say I've never (laughs) seen an episode of any, any of them. Um, but I'm following the story. And so uh, the uh, the guy, the boyfriend or whatever, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Big. I don't know. Chris Noth. Chris Noth. <laughs> so actor. spoiler alert, if you if you like this show and you haven't seen it yet, don't listen to this or just la 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 for the next 10 seconds. But um, Every, everybody's okay. hurt. The guy <laughs> dies. <laughs> I'm trying to be thoughtful for, uh, for the people who have stuck with us for 20 episodes. So... Uh, I haven't seen it. I've just read about it, but he um, he's riding a Peloton or something and then he has a heart attack and dies part of the plot. And so it's kind of like with the crock pot with this is us a couple years ago with the fire. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Talk about great crisis management. That was actually fantastic. And so he has this heart attack and dies in the show and there's this huge backlash online against Peloton. Oh my God. And they're, they're in crisis mode. And, and to me, they they learned their lesson the first time, and I really believe that the executive team said, okay, next time something like this happens, we need to act quickly, we need to jump on it. And so they came out, and I, again, I don't know what the timeline was. It was so fast, because we know how difficult it is to put stuff like this together. I think it was within like 24 hours of all this happening. They had this commercial come out, and so I'm going to play the audio of the commercial if you haven't seen it, it's on it's on it's on uh, YouTube. It's not through their official because it got pulled. We'll talk about that in a second. They come out this commercial, so you have Chris Noth, the guy who died in the show, and his favorite uh, what do you call it Peloton instructor? I don't, I don't know her name, but like it's this is his favorite lady. On like he referred to her know. on the show or whatever. So the two of them, okay. So they got these two actors on the couch. And there's like a romantic fire, and there's like it just it's like a kind of like romantic kind of setting. And here's the commercial. beginnings. You look great. Oh, I feel great. Should we take another ride? Life's too short not to. <laughs> and just like that, the world was reminded that regular cycling stimulates and improves your heart, lungs, and circulation, reducing your risk of cardiovascular diseases. Cycling strengthens your heart muscles, lowers resting pulse, and reduces blood fat levels. He's alive. And of course, that was Canadian Ryan Reynolds' voice there at the end. And so I saw that commercial and I thought, oh my God, that's genius. And Ryan Reynolds is, this this guy is one of the best marketers in the world. All the different things he touches, the humor. And he was the guy that originally, the Peloton lady, had her with his, uh, his what is it, gin or vodka or something? 
Yeah, he's, he's got his own marketing firm. He's really, really good. And so that yeah. commercial comes out super fast. In 30 seconds or less, they deal with the whole issue. He's alive. He's with the lady. They spent a ton of money on that. And then right after that, the next shoe drops and um, two women come out with sexual assault allegations from years ago against Chris Noth. And he has subsequently been uber, super canceled capital C to the point where I read a story yesterday. And I don't know if this is true, but it said that they had actually edited him out of the finale of the show. So he was kind of in there. Now he's not. And um, the commercial was pulled very, very quickly. It was gone from Ryan Reynolds, gone from Peloton. Uh, the, the, the stock is down a ton. I don't know if you've been following it. And I, I don't think it's related to this, but from a business perspective, it's down, I think, 75% from its high. And a lot of those are supply chain issues, the, the pandemic, like how many, you know, anyone who's bought one is going to, and they realized there was this big, this big surge. But um, all that stuff aside, uh, I thought that the executive team learned their lesson the first time around and has those crisis response muscles in place. It didn't go perfectly the way they wanted it to because of those allegations that came out subsequently. And, you know, that will be dealt with in, uh, in, in, you know, a court of law or whatever the process is. But I just thought from a crisis management standpoint, I really liked the speed and the ingenuity that they used. Uh, it didn't work out the way they wanted, but I thought to me, that was a brand that has kind of evolved and adapted. And I thought that there was something, something positive there in a, in a way from a leadership standpoint. I thought they actually may have known ahead of time what, what was what was in the episode because it was so fast. It, like it's like that's not the kind of commercial you can whip up, whip out necessarily that fast, especially with actors like that and like you know imagine a set and lighting and blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. So I wondered even if they had they had uh, understood what was going to happen ahead of time and thought we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with this. Maybe and, because of the crockpot um, thing. Maybe maybe yeah <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, no, good point. But, uh, but no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think they did do a much better job of managing it, obviously, but it just shows you, too, that not <laughs> best laid plans, yeah. you know, not everything's under your control. And But a lot of the things we talk about, yeah. you know, speed and going direct to the audience, yeah. I thought, you know, it had, had some ingredients there. So I think, um, you know, I think they've got a, 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 a tough uh, slog ahead of them, just given what's going on with the economy. But I just thought from a crisis management standpoint, I thought it was uh, it was a good effort. It just it didn't work. It was out good. Well. It was good. Okay, so you hey, had oh bef- yeah, before yeah. we get before we get to that, I want to call an audible on the podcast. Can you call audibles sure. on podcasts? And I want to I want to inject a in new honor topic. of John Madden. May he rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, Warren, do you drink Paps Blue Ribbon? I've never had that. Have you never had? Apparently, apparently oh my the young God, people call it. Apparently, <laughs> the young people call it PBR. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen. The, the, the context here is this is one of those times where I think the marketing team, like they, they have a whole brand where they're trying to shock and, you know, I think just create um, Taco Bell. They want to be Taco Bell and Wendy's. They want to be Taco Bell. And so they tweeted. I, so January is meant to be dry January. And um, they tweeted on January 30, 31 a.m. Uh, Pops Blue Ribbon from the official verified account. Not drinking this January? Question mark. Try eating ass, question mark, <laughs> exclamation point. And this was like met with like kind of amusement, shock, uh, revulsion, like you, you name it, all the, all the different uh, reactions. And I, I was looking at this thinking, wow, they are really pushing the envelope here and they're not, they're uh, uh, not uh, too worried, I guess, about 
the kind of uh, environment that we're in. And they probably want to use that to their advantage to try and, you know, shock and just, you know, get attention. But, but I think the tweet lasted about, I don't know, three hours. Mm. And, and, um, so someone, someone's will broke and the, and they deleted it <laughs> and all evidence of this was gone. But to, to me, the reason I wanted to raise it and just talk to you about it was I, I totally get what they were trying to do and trying to shock and grab attention. But if you're going to do it, you have to be comfortable, like go in full bore and, and do it and know that we're going to, there's going to be this reaction and you don't want to be in the place where you're having to walk it back or delete it and have to deal with the, the flack. And if you, if you're not going to do that, don't do it in the first place. Now, did you, did you see this when it came out? I did. I did. It's, I found it really, you know, I'd like to think I have a pretty good sense of humor, but uh, I found it really, really, really distasteful. And I'm like, to me, this looks, and I, I don't know the backstory, but it seems to me like just a rogue social media person, like someone on the team, like thinks they know better and put it out. I can't imagine that was signed off by a senior manager. Someone has yeah. gotten to have been fired after that. It's, uh, and the, the most offensive thing was the timestamp is sent out at eight 30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. 11 o'clock at night, you know, maybe it's a little more acceptable at eight 30 in the morning. I haven't eaten cereal yet. Jesus. Like, <laughs> but, uh, it just in the bad, there's, there's in the, the battle for, and it goes back to the Newsweek thing, right? Just outrageous, be outrageous. And I just, I don't think that's the best way to, to do it. Like everybody looks at, Taco Bell and Wendy's and, you know, sometimes Pizza Hut is like these major brands that there's an art to having that, that voice and walking that line. And to me, it just, it seems like you read that tweet and you're like, that's, that's over the line, obviously. Well, it's, it's the equivalent of, it's not the sort of funny edge that has some endearing quality to it. It's the equivalent of like, like the drunk guy walking into the China shop and knocking stuff over. Like it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have that ability to, um, uh, it's it's not clever. It's not clever. It's not, you know, there's no, it's just like a punch in the face. And, uh, (laughs) I don't think it does the brand any favors. No, no. So I agree with you. I think somebody probably was showing the door and that's, that's the thing, right? If you're going to, if you're going to have a campaign like this, where you're going to have edge, um, I can't, the, the levels of approval and the and the and the the, the feeling of uh, comfort that has to exist up the food chain has to be strong enough so that you don't get into this position where um where you're you're having to walk stuff back because then you just look stupid right it's not not a brand being clever it's um you know the, it, was, the, it was crass yeah I am doing dry yeah. January by the way are you very good yeah I don't know, like uh what what's the date today I, January forty fifth <laughs> It's seventh. It's it's January seventh. The, the day days. I have to the, say, the days go. The days are longer. The month is longer. It's like the longest month of the year. Yeah, because I, I don't, don't drink that much to begin with. So, but like sometimes you you just like you know it's like Friday night tonight we're taping this. You'd like to have like a nice cold beer with dinner and just like. But I'm like yeah. no, just so February first I'm gonna go bananas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, let's let's get back to the next topic. So. You know, the year just the year just closed. Twenty twenty one just closed, and and I was kind of thinking like we have to establish some sort of 
end of year ritual for this podcast. So as we go forward into the, into the next uh, decade of podcasts, um, I was thinking, let, let's take a look back on the year that was just concluded and maybe just talk about one or two people who we thought maybe a person who did really well coming out of the year in terms of their reputation and a person or an organization or, or whatever uh, who left the year um, not doing so well with their reputation. And uh, I just thought we could maybe have a back and forth about uh, who, we, who we put on that list. Okay, so <clears throat> love the idea. Who, which would you like to start with? The one on the upswing or the one on the down, going down? Uh, let's, let's, I want to end on a high note. So let's, <laughs> let's start with the people going down. Okay, so this is, this is uh, what you think is one of the brands that left the year on a downtrend in terms of their reputation. So the person I chose uh, for the person on the downturn is Joe Biden. And the reason why I chose him is because I can't remember a time when somebody entered a job with such high hopes and uh, has ach- has achieved so little or, or underwhelmed people to such a great extent. And I, you know, I think obviously, you know, given the guy who just left, uh, it wasn't like the bar was high. It wasn't like coming in after Obama or Clinton and, you know, had, had a, had a, a, a tough act to follow. Uh, the act to follow was a, was a, you know, blundering wreck. So he could have, he could have just, you know, uh, done a little and, and looked like a great, uh, looked like, a, like he was performing at great levels. But I think they tried to shoot for the moon in terms of all the things they wanted to accomplish and as we've talked about before, reputation and communications is not just about making up a bunch of words. It's about doing things. And then based on the things you do, you communicate them. And um, they just, and the president just hasn't been able to deliver. Um, in fact, he, there's there's more you can look at what he didn't do than he did. So as a result, I feel like it's huge lost opportunity and really sets up uh, clouded future uh for uh, for him and from Canada's standpoint, that that isn't a good thing because you want to see um, stability in this time, but unfortunately, that's not what we're seeing. What do you think about? Very interesting pick, by the way. What what do you think about the um, the observations that he is not he's not all there cognitively? Do you like? I, I haven't really followed him that much in terms of his speeches, and I don't think he's been super visible. But what what are your what are your thoughts on that? It's like it, they're saying he's super scripted, no, uh, no spontaneous questions. Everything's planned out ahead of time, and he's, um, you know, snapping at people. Like they're saying that there's like dementia there, and it's getting worse. Well, I, maybe I don't know. Like who knows, right? Um, he certainly isn't the man he was five years ago or hey, ten years is? ago. Hey, join yeah, him. yeah. But. You know, it's not just all about him because when you're in that job, it's about the people around you, right? Mm. And um, the fact that the people around have sort of contributed to this underwhelming performance um, is is all the more bewildering. But um, but it it uh, you know, there, I think there's still time for them to to um, rehabilitate his reputation. And what he's able to achieve, but uh, that's where he stands right now, in my estimation. That's pretty optimistic. What do you think? You know, I just we're what a year into his term. What do you think he could do? Like, I, I don't know. I just I don't see the horsepower being there. You know what I mean? Like, it just I don't like. What could he do to turn turn it around? I think I think 
the the big failing has been the things they wanted to do were hugely optimistic and and like big huge shoot for the moon projects or not projects shoot for the moon um pieces of legislation mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to the storyline around those things has been they're not getting what they want so they're settling for something less mm-hmm. and um and so the narrative kind of sucks so i would be trying to f- as, carve down my um carve down uh, what I'm trying to do so that I can be um, under promising and over delivering for the next couple of years. Um, Do you know, fun fact that uh, it's not fun, obviously, but um, more people have died of COVID under Joe Biden's administration than under Trump. Yeah. That's a staggering figure. It is. Well, it's staggering. The total number of people have died period, but unbelievable. Um, but so anyway, so that's, that, that was my, my downturn guy. Solid uh, who, very specific. Who was on your, who was on your list? Um, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time. We wanted to kind of surprise each other. Mine <clears throat> was similar, but I picked basically premiers, uh, as, as a group and some of the, the key medical officers of health and the, the sort of the top doctors throughout the pandemic, not to, um, not to pick on, on, on anyone specifically, but I really, I really think that that overall, since the beginning of this process, like mentally, I think people, especially here in Canada, are just, they're done. We're worn down. Um, parents are, it's just, and we thought we were out. You know, there was that period in like November, December when things seemed to be, and now we're just pulled back in. It's like Al Pacino in Godfather 3, there's pulling us back in. And so there's a level of um, pessimism and and anger and frustration and, you know, you're looking at, at the restaurants going out of business and the, the, uh, you know, you'll have a hockey arena in the United States with 20,000 people in it. You have one in Toronto with none. It's, uh, the, there's the, the flip-flopping, the hypocrisy, the mixed messages. And I understand, like, I would not want to switch places with any of these individuals. I really don't even know if it's possible to handle this perfectly or even really well, given the changing dynamic and the forces at play and anti-vaxxers and science and, and all these other pieces. But I, I just believe that as a whole, their people's belief and respect for politicians wasn't high before. I think it's at an all-time low. And I think that's one of the reasons that you're seeing a lot of this pushback from different audiences where, screw you, I'm not wearing my mask. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I think a lot of that is just because, um, and, and let's face it, like if you're a restaurant owner, this has been probably, if your restaurant is still in business, this has been one of the worst periods of your life. And any of these politicians telling people what to do have not missed a paycheck since the beginning of the pandemic and not to single them out, but just, it's a fact. It's really easy to tell people what to do when you are making hundred percent of your salary. And so I just believe as a whole, the political class has taken a huge reputational beating um, because of this pandemic. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens come election time. But uh, I just, uh, and again, I wouldn't want to trade places with any of these people, but I think it's been a really damaging job. So that's an interesting pick. You know, one of the, you, you mentioned two groups in that, that, that discussion, public health officials and and the politicians I'd be curious to know how you think public health officials are coming out 
do you, do you add them in at the same in, in the same category, or do you make any distinguishing or did any distinction between them between the the medical people Pu- and the, the yeah the public health officials and the politicians <clears throat> and how people perceive them and the reputations coming out over the last year? Well, I, I think to an extent, the medical officers of, of health and the top doctors are kind of beholden to the politicians in a way. Or like I don't know how how autonomous they are. And you've even seen some back and forth where you know one is trying to throw the other under under the bus. It's just I you just keep seeing the same faces at the same podium over time, saying completely different things and backtracking and just it's human nature, right? If someone changes their story enough, you get the whole boy who cried wolf thing. And I understand things are changing, but I'm just talking about if you're trying to communicate with your audience, people want simple messages, give it to us straight. Um, give it to us quickly, tell us what to do. And I, I think a lot of them have been trying to be too cute or to try to manage situations. And uh, it's it's very tough to pick. You know, some have done better than others. Some have done worse than others. But overall, I just think that um, that whole that whole group, as a, as a group, um, you, you wonder, you take a guy like Doug Ford, who tried so hard to become the Premier of Ontario, and there's all that business with Patrick Brown getting unseated as the leader, and Doug Ford gets in, and, and look what he look what he's got to deal with. You know what I mean? If he, if he had a time machine and he could go back, I don't think he would want to be within a thousand yards of of that uh, of Queens Park. Yeah, I think you're making really good points. Actually, the, the before I landed on Biden, public health officials were the ones I was thinking that are ending the year uh, on um, on a downturn when it comes to reputation, and it for the for the reasons you were talking about. I think people, they're tired, as you point out, but also so much of the, 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 res- the way they've designed restrictions seems just arbitrary and uh, not grounded any logic to people. It, from a communication standpoint, um, it, like, maybe you can get people to follow that kind of stuff for a short period of time, but two years on, to, and as you said earlier, with things changing all the time, it um, I think people have just tuned them out. So those are the two. Uh, those are our two losers from a reputational standpoint. Do you want to go first with the one on the upswing, or do you want me to go? Sure, I'll go first. You can finish things off. So uh, this is a controversial pick, but I think the person who uh, left the year. On, on the best reputational high is the uh, Time mag- Magazine Person of the Year, Elon Musk. Oh. And and the reason, I, there's a few reasons why I'll say that. Uh, the reason why I'll say that is, like, obviously he's a very polarizing figure, which he himself contributes to with sometimes inadvisable tweets. <laughs> uh, but but um, I think here's a um, an innovator who is is breaking new ground on a technological basis when it comes to um on, when it comes to space he is like been the pioneer really to to push the electric car revolution uh in transit when more than cars right he's making electric trucks he and he ended the year um by paying the most amount of tax yeah. a human being has ever paid in the history of the world. $11 billion. <laughs> $11 billion in tax. And, and I think, I think he has, um, uh, 
really by not only great achievements from his businesses um, and, and, you know, sort of the, the way he has um, setting himself out aside from a lot of the traditional political and, and business um, structures in terms of media and whatnot is establishing himself as a, like a really durable um, uh, individual, obviously, you know, that can be, always be undone if someone does something untoward. But I think uh, of, on balance, um, he ends the year on a really high note, uh, closing 2021. That's a good pick. Well, uh, what, what are your thoughts on him? Well, did you see the back and forth with him? And was it Elizabeth Warren on Twitter? It was Elizabeth Warren, yeah. yeah. That was, he's pretty, he's pretty good on Twitter, I have to say. He, he yeah. does, again, he goes, he goes over the edge, but weird sense of humor, different kind of guy. Uh, yeah. revolutionizing different industries. Like it's really, it's really tough to be a critic. Like how many people have a, have a net positive impact on a global basis? Like very few people can achieve that. And so she was, um, you know, attacking the billionaire class, you know, why don't you pay your fair share of taxes? And then he responded, I think it would not only was saying like, I paid more tax than any other person in history this past year, but didn't he include some article about her where she made a ton of money and didn't pay any taxes or something? So <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Kind of like a yeah. one, two punch. So yeah. uh, careful when you troll this guy <laughs> because he's pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who, who did you so have? My pick was a little off the beaten track and someone that I don't think we've talked about. Cause I'm trying to think like looking back at the entire year and again, this wasn't the person who did it the best, but I'm like, who is in a better spot at the end of 2021 than, than they were at the beginning from a reputational standpoint? And not just because of luck or, or just kind of circumstance, but they were kind of an engineer of this. My pick is Britney Spears. Really interesting. Britney and Spears. I, I would agree with you for, for a number of reasons, but go ahead. So if you think back to, and this is around the Rob Ford time right so this is what 2013 or so um yeah something like I think that that's when the crack scandal came out i remember just around those times i think it was she was like the rob ford of entertainment and there was those stories that you saw she would shaved her head and she was running here and there and she was stuff with her kids and just paparazzi run-ins and she kind of bumped into some guy with her car and just all these different situations and just it looked chaotic and it looked like this just this downward spiral of this person and then she's in this conservatorship which i don't still don't even really understand she was in this thing for like what 14 years or something some incredible amount of time with her really long time father managing like this multi 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 million dollar um estate or, or or empire of hers and she finally gets out of it and so her use of social media has been, you know, questionable. And so like you've seen in any of her posts, it's, it's, you're kind of like, man, what's going on, man? But she's been really connecting. Again, it goes back to that thing we said earlier, connecting with her audience, going direct to her audience. And throughout, they had this um, this this movement. What was it called? Um, like Free Britney. I think that's mm-hmm. that was the hashtag, Free Britney. And she was online constantly thanking her fans. Thank you for this. And she was communicating with them and sharing these posts and these little inner glimpses of her life and any of her posts on social media are getting millions of likes. And so what she was doing with all of those was breathing oxygen onto these flames and keeping her story in the public domain. And you've seen a couple of documentaries come out here and there on Netflix and different things. And ultimately she, um, the conservatorship was ended. Now she's free. And so again, 
who knows what the future holds. She might, she might, you know, take off like a Phoenix and, and rebound in her career. And it's this amazing comeback story, or we might see another, you know, Rob Ford, like downward spiral. But I think where we stand right now, her reputation has had a huge gain over the past 12 months. And I think a lot of that is because of her engineering. I think she's smarter than a lot of people give her credit for and her savvy and use of social media. It's one of those things like live by the sword, die by the sword. Social media was very damaging to her, but I think she's figured out how to use it to her benefit. And so Britney Spears is my pick. That's a great pick. And I would just, I would just add, I think her team actually was really skillful in, in the lead up to the conservatorship being wound up. Uh, Their team was really skillful in, strategically framing how her father was was running that poorly from a business standpoint and sounds like pretty uh, un undad like to <laughs> to her do- to his daughter and made and some of the stories that emerged made it really uncomfortable for some of the businesses that were um associated with him like the law firm and and others made it really uncomfortable for them to just stand by and continue on and so I think it, it really like knocked out the underpinnings that was supporting um, uh, supporting him and his role as conservator. And uh, and in addition to what you just talked about, it really, you know, it's like the it's like the it's like the Berlin Wall coming down. Right. So it starts a series of events that is kind of um, not easy to stop. Hmm. Anyway, congratulations to her for that. And we will see uh, what happens with her career. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up episode 20 of the 1% podcast in the world? Fantastic. No, that's that's great. I look forward to uh, 2022 and many weeks of uh, analyzing reputations over the next year. Thank you very much, sir, uh, for your contributions. Great picks. And uh, to anyone who wants us to hit on any topics, PR, crisis, reputation related, hit us up on Twitter, um, send us a quick note, our contact information's out there and we would be happy to chop it up. Likewise, if you have a recommendation for a guest and uh, have a couple ideas, we should talk offline about bringing some people back maybe from last year. We had a couple of guests that were uh, very well received, uh, but uh, likewise, uh, all the best for 2022 and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.